You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Week one is upon us, and it's been a huge week at CincyJungle.com, a huge week for our podcast channel. We've got a lot of stuff that has already hit the airwaves, whether it's on our show, Orange is the New Black with Ace and Zim, and or Chalk Talk with Matt Minnick, and much more to come, including this episode, the deep dive show of the Orange and Black Insider Bengals podcast. I am Anthony Cazenza, happy to have all of you Bengals fans joining us, whether it's live or after the live recording, uh, recording on your favorite audio streamer. And I'm joined by one of the busiest guys in the biz, John Sheeran, multiple podcast host, Cincy Jungle head guy. What's going on, buddy? Doing good, man. You're right, though. It's been it's been a great week for the site and the channel. If you guys haven't already checked it out, our boys Ace and Zim interviewed none other than Quinn Spain uh, yesterday. So definitely check out that interview. Had a lot of great insight as well. But honestly, man, kind of riding a high right now because the NFL knows me. They, it knows who I am, apparently, because they just released a bunch of merchandise with my name on it. I guess this guy named Ed Sheeran is doing... I, 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 I don't know who this Ed Sheeran is, but he's doing like some performance, and they're putting his name on like all this merchandise. But obviously, like I'm like the NFL Sheeran, so I feel like this is like a tribute to me. And I did I did end up getting a hat, though. And I will wear did it. Did you really? Time, Good for I you. did get a hat, and I, I awesome. will wear it. <laughs> I will wear it or Randall will wear it the next time we go live. That's awesome. That's awesome. Uh, we've we've had a really, really busy past couple of weeks on the show. We're really proud of what our, you know, what our little show has done. And then, of course, um, the great stuff that Ace, Zim, Matt, uh, we had a fun roundtable last week. We've had and we've been we're looks like we're joined by him in the live chat here. Jake Liskow of Locked on Bangles. We are pleased to be joined by him and James Rapine a couple of Fridays ago. Uh, for a fun, another fun roundtable. We've got a special interview hitting tomorrow. We had a special one about a week and a half ago with Devin Leah still. So we've had a lot of fun stuff going on, and hopefully you have enjoyed it as we gear up for the Bengals hosting the Vikings in week one. It's a big game. We're going to preview that one at the end of the show. We've got a Believe It or Not segment with a couple of topics that we want to talk about as it pertains to the Cincinnati Bengals. And instead of a week-by-week or headline type of approach with this one, we're going to do a little bit of a full-season scope type uh, type of look at it. And, of course, we're going to maybe get to a little bit of news to to start the start the show off. And what else am I missing here? We got we've got a positional preview. The offensive tackles, we have yet to, to talk about them. The real last remaining, we timed that so well, the last remaining position to talk about is right before week one. So we've got a lot to get to, and uh, let's hop to it. I guess 
if we want to get to some news, John, the biggest, and we, we talked about it here, but it has been confirmed as of early this week. I believe it was on Labor Day, actually. Trey Waynes is out. He will not play on Sunday against the Vikings. A bummer on multiple levels because not only is he one of, if not their top cornerback, depending on your feelings of on Shadobia Wuzie, but uh, he doesn't get to go up against his old team, and that's kind of a bummer too. So Trey Wayne's out. Eli Apple in. We had a, a little chat of uh, about Eli Apple last week, but now that's official, how are you feeling about that? Yeah, it was just a matter of how many games beyond this game is Trey Wayne's going to miss, and there's obviously the Vikings factor into it, the potential revenge game that's been now, what, 18 months or so in the making, and it's been at least 18 months since Trey Waynes has played an actual football game. So unfortunate, but, you know, we kind of talked about the implications of that against an offense quarterbacked by Kirk Cousins, but also features a running back in Dalvin Cook. We don't really know how the Vikings are going to attack this defense. We just know that they're going to attack it with Eli Apple at one of the cornerback spots. And he's going up against either a really good young receiver in Justin Jefferson or a really good veteran receiver in Adam Thielen. So, Hold on to your butts, I guess. Yeah, and our esteemed leader over at Cincy Jungle, Jason Markham, uh, talks. Part of it is about <laughs> the the pay, the pay, or the, I'm sorry, the, the cap hit that the Bengals would take if they cut him last year. We're already having that discussion, I guess, to some degree. I don't. I'm not there yet. I, I kind of want to see. There's a reason why you know. Uh, they, they've got him on the active roster. There's not an IR situation or anything like that. So this obviously doesn't seem to be something that's going to be super long-term, at least we say that now. We know the Cincinnati Bengals and their medical staff at times, but we say that now. So I, I, I still think there is a good chance at redemption. Um, and obviously he brings a lot of things to the team that they like. It's just, hey, you got to get on the field, man. You got to get on the field. You got to contribute. You got to start doing that. But he has an opportunity. I think, you know, we're probably looking at weeks two, three, four, maybe that he is back, John. Um, but we will, we will see. Uh, not great news though, for the Cincinnati Bengals and their defense. Although for the most part, aside from Khalid Kareem, Joseph Osai, Wyatt Hubert, Trey Waynes, um, they're, they're, they're relatively healthy going into this season as, as opposed to previous years. I mean, we're just knocking on Trey Waynes because he makes a lot of money and he's supposed yeah. to start and he's not healthy, but Honestly, compared to years past, like in even last year when they didn't play a preseason game, they played three preseason games and they're much more healthier now compared to where they usually are. 21 of the starters are going to play in this game. So honestly, if you're a Bengals fan and you know that this franchise is snake bitten with very crucial injuries, it's not so bad entering week one. I I don't even want to go here necessarily, but I just always in the back of my mind, these past couple of years have been some of the most exciting in terms of free agency for the Cincinnati Bengals, especially outside free agents that they have netted. And I just, I hope that this type of situation with Trey Waynes doesn't cause them in years in the future to, to pull back on that because uh, they, they need to be active as they have been the past couple of years in free agency. We will see another discussion for another time. The injury report did come out, John, this is on, uh jungle.com i'm going to pop this up on the screen really though again the the only player that did not participate in wednesday's practice was trey waynes on the Bengals side uh and then we've got a few 
on the limited side from the Vikings. So all in all, pretty healthy teams, as I just said, uh, going into week one here. Not a lot of missing pieces for both teams, and that's that's good for them. You're going to get a good look at, you know, kind of pretty full cupboards for both teams going up against each other. I think the one – there's two, I guess, notable names. Uh, Anthony Barr is limited, and yep. I don't know if he's going to be a game-time decision or not. I think Zimmer said something about him in practice today, but I'll have to re-up on that. But Christian Derisaw, who was their first-round pick, they traded down the first round, passed on – a guy named Justin Fields, and the Bears took him. And he was drafted to potentially start year one at left tackle. He, I think, was only doing individual drills uh, today on Wednesday, so it's not looking like he's going to start or even – I don't even think he even played or practiced a lot during August. So right now they have Rashad Hill slated to start at left tackle. So if we're looking down the road at you know where injuries could hurt the Vikings – Probably it might be an offensive line at that, at that spot. I don't even think Darisaw would have been ready to play regardless, even if he was healthy. But it looks like he's going to be one of the notable outs with Anthony Barr kind of lingering up in the air as a questionable. Yeah, Conklin, uh, a guy that uh, – so I, I shared uh, – I forget who it was who had relayed the Vikings' first depth chart. I shared that on the water cooler chat yesterday. And they had uh, Darisaw as the backup left tackle at this point in time. I, I think that may be because of the injury and whatnot. But, um, yeah, so he's he's limited. Conklin, uh, who was, I believe, listed as their starting tight end, he's limited. Barr, a guy who's been a pretty good linebacker for a while in the NFL, he was limited as of Wednesday. We'll see what happens to your point there. But uh, Alexander Madison, a, a backup running back to Dalvin Cook. And D.D. Westbrook, a guy that some people felt that the Bengals should have pursued in free agency, but they did not. Uh, they were all full practice for the Vikings there. Any other bits of news you want to get to, John, before we proceed into the next? I know there's – I mean, we're, we're pretty caught up, especially with uh, the, the water cooler chat from yesterday. But is there anything else that you want to talk about as it pertains to – recent news with the Bengals, the Vikings, et cetera, that maybe we didn't cover so far. I think we should address the the bombshell potentially of last week. And I don't, I don't think we talked about it. Um, Adam Jones coming on Shannon Sharp's yeah. uh, program and revealing to the world that he has adopted two of Chris Henry's sons, which it's just another layer of this mystery of Adam Jones post NFL life. It's mostly been disappointing, I think. And unfortunately we've had to cover it a lot of since jungle, but it was kind of nice writing that article, seeing him open up to Shannon like that and revealing the past of his relationship with Henry. They were never teammates with the Bengals, which I forgot about. Yeah. Like Henry passed yeah. away right before Jones joined the team in 2010. They were teammates in West Virginia. Exactly. And they were like, Jones, the first round pick Henry was the third round pick. In 2005, so they were boys back then, and then everything happened with Henry, and I guess Jones has been in um, his fiance's life um, ever since and taking care and helping raising those kids. And it was like a conjoined effort with uh, his his ex fiance now. So like she's still going to be in their life, but like he's taking on an official fatherhood role for these two kids without their dad. And I thought it, it, it was great to hear. And it's just again another. Adam Jones is like the is the ultimate onion, you know. It just keep unreeling unre- uh, these these layers of his personality, and there's just so much to his story. And this is just an, another thing on top of it. 
when are we getting the 30 for 30 on Adam Jones and, and Honestly. his life, his football career? When is that coming? Uh, because like you said, that I, that onion analogy is, is a, a good one. Um, because there's, like you said, there's so many layers and quite honestly, a, some of the layers with Adam Jones aren't very pleasant. Uh, there's a lot of stories in his background. There are a lot of good things in his background, like this story. And le- like you, I was surprised. I don't exactly know the the depth of this adoption and, and everything, you know, but, but it sounds like there is a very, a very, very close knit type of situation with this. And um, very cool to see that he has stepped in and, and done some things in the memory of his son. We talked about this a little bit on the water cooler chat yesterday, but I'm glad you reiterated this. This was a really cool story and one that uh, bears repeating for sure, especially for a guy that tends, you know, his and, and by his own doing, but he tends to get dragged through the mud a little bit publicly because of some things um, that, that were in his past. So, uh, and some of which, unfortunately, not so far in the past. I mean, some, some of it's been pretty recent. So, um, but hey, good on him there. And uh, it, it sounds like there's there's something good that has come out of that horrible situation with Chris uh, Chris Henry and his untimely passing. The other thing, not to switch gears from something, a feel-good story and an emotional one, but I, I wanted to ask you about this because this was in terms of the timing. We know the Bengals wanted to maybe get a developmental quarterback on the <laughs> practice squad at this time, but the timing and where this player came from and the one they cut to get him on the practice squad, I thought was things that make you go, hmm, right? Uh, Jake Browning, a guy I knew a, a bit about because he played at the University of Washington, played with John Ross and uh, you know, when, when he had that receiving core there, he was he was lighting it up and then things kind of as guys left and things, you know, you kind of saw some of the warts and Browning's game there. But a guy who is now on the Bengals practice squad and was very recently with the Vikings. So is this in your estimation, John, something where you think the Bengals are playing a little week to week clipboard magic here and, and trying to pick the brain of a former Vikings quarterback? Or is this a guy that you think is going to stick around long-term as a developmental guy and potential competition for Brandon Allen down the road, uh, Jake Browning versus Brandon Allen? I don't know. Probably the former. Uh, like, I was tasked with writing an article about potential quarterbacks that the Bengals can sign to the practice squad because you have to figure they have to have one more in case of some type of COVID emergency. Even though most of the quarterbacks available right now, they're they're, they're, they're not good and Browning is no exception to that. And I didn't know that Browning was with the Vikings recently. He was with them in this offseason. When I saw on the, the wire that the Bengals picked him up on the practice squad, I'm like, I remember something about Browning. Not only did he play with John Ross, Washington, he was Jonah Williams' quarterback in high school in Folsom, California. They were both like really um, high-star recruits back, back in the day. So I figured that's a connection. Maybe Williams had some intel on Browning, and they need a quarterback, and like, you know, might as well. There's no real other better options out there aside from Jake Browning. Then I learned that he was with the Vikings, and then that kind of started reeling in. Like, they cut a guy in Drew Chrisman, who they probably have future implications with. They want to keep him around at least for another year to see if he can take over for Kevin Huber. He's no longer on the practice squad because of Jake Browning. They are playing the Vikings this week. I don't know how much Jake Browning knows about what the Vikings are doing because I don't know how much work that a third-string quarterback really gets and how intimate, uh, how much intimate knowledge he has of the playbook, but it probably is just 
gathering intel. And the Bengals worked out another former uh, Viking, Holden Hill, at cornerback. So maybe they were seeing if he could join on and give them some more intel on the other side of the ball. So it, it is probably just um, a, a savvy move on their part. Not really interested in having Browning around for the long term. We'll see. I, I tend to agree with you. Uh, it would be kind of a shame if they just bring him on for a week and bounce him out of here after after the week. But uh, we'll we'll see. I I just thought it was very unique timing in terms of when they brought Jake Browning on to the practice squad. So those are some of the newest pieces of news, most recent pieces of news. As it pertains with the Cincinnati Bengals, we've got a lot more to get to. And we've got a Believe It or Not segment. We've got a positional preview. And, of course, we're going to talk about the Vikings game. We did try and get a special guest tonight. Unfortunately, our show conflicted with his in Malik Wright of the Right Way Sports Network. So we're still working to get him on. Uh, we've been in talks with him. Unfortunately, there was just a collision of times this this week. But we'll, we'll get him on, and we're looking forward to that, too. We've had a number of great guests on recently, and uh, he would be just another in a long line of some great ones we've had recently. And if you are new to this program, go subscribe to our YouTube channel. You can find that little icon right underneath John's left shoulder there, the bottom corner of your screen. Click that. Also click the bell to be notified when new content is available and or when we go live. And then, of course, if you missed that Quentin Spain interview, if you if you missed some things from Matt Minnick or some older episodes from us, you can go and subscribe to our Cincy Jungle podcast channel on your favorite streamer. Leave a review if you could. But uh, we're on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Google Podcasts, all the all the biggies were out there. So no excuses. You got to you got to subscribe to that and check out our material. Anything else before we get to our next segment? Believe it or not, because you you brought up a couple of good tidbits and reminders on the news front, John. Anything else you think we should get to before we? move on so I, I think you had an article that, that dropped on Cincy jungle today um, about home gating as, as a Bengals fan you want to talk about that okay. a little bit sure sure uh basically I and I kind of this was like a a new thing so I was like well what direction am I am I actually going to take this thing and so I actually shared a little bit of kind of some personal things in terms of how I watch Bengal games over the past god knows how many years uh it's usually kind of a a close family affair, a couple of close friends sometimes pop by and uh, we do a couple of different things. We try and it, it's a little different for us on the West Coast because so many of the games are at 10 a.m. and not not 1 p.m. So there's a little bit of an adjustment. And when you start throwing kids into the mix and all that kind of stuff, it starts getting wacky to, to schedule and carve out time and all that kind of stuff. But we try and, and before we get gross with food and drink and all that kind of stuff. We try and get a little bit of exercise early in the day. And then we, we kind of get going somewhere and uh, usually at my brother's house, but sometimes I host or sometimes we'll go somewhere, but um, you know, we, we kind of do some different things. We obviously watch the game pretty intently, but we throw in a couple of fun things, fun games. Uh, the kids, all the cousins all get together and play and it's, it's, it's a pretty fun time. And so just kind of shared, uh, I guess I'll, I'll pull this up here too, but uh, just kind of shared some different things in terms of what I do. Obviously, it's a little different now because I do cover the game during and after. Uh, so, you know, uh, the fun 
you know, the fun games and adult beverages are kept to a minimum. Uh, but at, at the same time, we still get to have a lot of fun and, and do some different things. So we shared some of the dishes that we, you know, sometimes cook at, when we get together and potluck the thing or, you know, all kinds of different things. And then we just wanted to hear how people, you know, home gating is kind of becoming a big thing. I know people are going back to the stadiums and, and doing that in a, in a careful manner this year. But, you know, I think between COVID still, still being around and between, um, you know, people just kind of hanging out at home a bit more over the past year and a half, they kind of got used to that. And just the fact that the NFL experience at home on TV is such a huge experience uh, a lot of people like to, to do this thing at home and, and they'll, you know, they'll get together with loved ones, friends, family, whatever, and uh, do some things. So uh, yeah, that was just kind of an article I put up there with the, the comment thread on there is just a little bit about what, you know, some recipes you have, what do you like to do? Some traditions you have, all that kind of stuff. So it was just a fun one. I appreciate you bringing that up. Did you, did you have any that uh, you have? I, I don't, I don't quite know how you experience your Bengals Sundays, John. I don't know. Uh, are you hunkered down alone? Cause I know you're working hard too. Uh, how are you? How was your Bengal watching experience? Yeah, it's just me and Randall in, in this spot right here with this monitor right in front of me has the game. I don't have this awesome workbench, this customly painted workbench that you have, but no, that's awesome. I, I, I think that's a great tradition that you guys have. Um, I would recommend though, drinking a little bit more during the game. It makes the writing experience a lot more fun. You get more creative when you have the, the juices flowing like that. So, you know, just, just something to keep in mind. I hear you. I hear you. And yeah, the, the workbench thing, we are not the, the Cazenza brothers are not handy guys. So might as well put the workbench to a, a tool bench into a, uh, a workable situation of sorts. It's kind of like a little bar now. Uh, of course he's got tools and stuff there, but um, Brandon, if you're listening, you're a handy guy. I don't mean to slide you, but <laughs> anyway, uh, yeah, good stuff. It was, it was fun to write and just kind of, uh, there, there've been a couple of times, you know, I relay news, I do a lot of opinion stuff and then I do a lot of posts centering around the show. And, um, every once in a while I get to do a little bit of experiential type of type of things, you know, how do you watch the game or times I've gone to games and, uh, took pictures and all that kind of stuff and wrote about it. So that's always fun to do that. I appreciate you bringing that up. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right. Well, let's get into a, believe it or not, and a season, a 20, 2021 season version of Believe It or Not. John, 
you lead us off this time, if you would, because you kind of started this on our on our pre-show prep. And you had a couple of questions that were were interesting. So if I'm gonna let you bat lead off on this one to use a different sport pun, <laughs> if you will. So it has to start with Burrow, I think. And there's a number of different directions that we can go with this. Like how many games is he actually going to play? Is How long is it going to be until he looks like the Burrow of old? Is he going to start hot immediately or is it going to be a rough first few weeks? But over the course of the entirety of the season, I think they're counting on him to make that jump as most second year quarterbacks do. And I think we already talked about this earlier in the offseason, but I think it it does encapsulate a lot of realistic expectations. Like Burrow has a chance to make his mark in Bengals history, whether that be you know leading this team to a potential playoff berth or making some individual noise from a, from a record standpoint. If Burrow does play 17 games, I don't think Andy Dalton's passing yardage record from 2013 or whatever, like that 4,300-yard mark is going to last. Is that like the barometer of individual success that we should have for Burrow? He didn't, I mean, he couldn't eclipse 3,000 last year because he only played in 10 or so games or whatnot. But like Burrow does play in all 17 games. Like you have to figure he's going to hit that mark. He's going to hit other marks in terms of the individual stats. Like we could ask, is he going to break that yardage mark? But also I think from a more broader standpoint, like what are our, I guess, barometers of how we judge Joe Burrow's year two. Like, how do we judge if it's a success or not? Is it just if he's healthy or if he hits some of these individual marks that indicate that he is taking that next jump as a quarterback? So when you look at, here's, I, I've highlighted the, the record-breaking year by Andy Dalton. forty Almost 4,300 yards, 33 touchdowns. Uh, does have the 20 interceptions. Um, in, in 2013 there and you know he's got another year down in, in 2016 4200 yards uh, didn't only have the 18 touchdowns against 18 picks there here's here's the things that kind of st- uh, stick out to me about this 2013 season it's there's some gaudy numbers in here for sure 40 like I said 4293 33 touchdowns you gotta like that completion percentage is it is a tick under 62 that's Oh, you'd like to see that a little higher, but 62 is, um, is okay. Right. Uh, and then, you know, you look at some other things, the 20 interceptions, that's pretty high. So when you get, when you get into 20 plus interception range, that's, that's something you kind of want to limit a little bit. And then of course the rating at, when you have a 4,300 yard, 33 touchdown type of passing season and your rating is only at 88.8, um, you know, there's obviously some disparities there. So for me, I, I I think the caveat, of course, Burrow staying healthy and this this new, you know, 17-game schedule here, that's kind of the caveat where you say, okay, that's where Burrow has a real shot, aside from his own talents, that's where Burrow has a real shot to make his mark and remove some of these from the top spots in Bengals history. But uh, I, I think it'll. I think if he plays all seventeen games, it'll be close because I don't. I, I think he'll come out and play well early, but I, I I'm not expecting just pick right up where you left off as as things were right before he got injured last year. I, I just I think there's going to be a little rust. There may be a little hesitation. I know he's saying and doing all the right things. 
I think it's just even for him, it's just a little bit of human nature. Um, I'm not going to say he's struggling. He's going to struggle or anything like that. I just I don't know that we're going to see the types of games that we saw like in week two against Cleveland and, and you know, some of these other games after he got rolling. So um, I, I don't know. Uh, I, I think it'll be very close if he plays all 17 games. In terms of your second question, what would I like to see him improve upon in terms of this record setting year by Andy Dalton in 2013, lesser interceptions, uh, you know, it, the, the passer rating is also something obviously that correlates with interceptions. Um, th- those are some of the areas I would like to see him uh, improve upon. And then maybe a couple percentage points higher, which I think Burrow will excel at. I think he's going to have a pretty good completion percentage this year. I think there's going to be some controlled passing. I think he's going to be comfortable as the year goes on a little more talent than there was last year at the skill position. So I, I think if you get a little higher on the completion percentage, less interceptions, higher rating, I think that's going to be a pretty dang good year for Joe Burrow. I apologize for that, for the way I asked that question, because it was kind of all over the place, but I think, no, it's um, good. I hope I didn't <laughs> no, answer like, it. <laughs> it, it's it's just it's a very broad topic and i think it it deserves a, a discussion of that sort big jim slade in the comment section i think burrow isn't the kind of quarterback who's going to start slow that's exactly what he did last year in week one he was at home against the chargers he yeah. ran for a touchdown but he threw one of the worst interceptions i've ever seen a quarterback throw albeit in his first game but you know he didn't have a preseason last year he was still learning a lot of stuff but he he's had a slow start last year and you know it, it didn't really get that much better until I, I guess October came around. So we, we could very well see something like that. You know, the Vikings have a decent defense. They have great pass rush bears. Same thing. That's on the road too. And then you have the Steelers in week three, you have a lot of tough competition right out of the gate and he's still getting his feet wet. So everything is on the table. I think with Burrow, because if he plays well, no one should be surprised because he's Joe Burrow and he's the reincarnation of Jesus Christ. But if he doesn't, you know, it makes sense. These defenses are talented and he's still a young quarterback who's coming off a major injury. So, you know, to answer, I guess the original uh, question, I, I think in terms of how we evaluate Burrow in his second year, it's really about continuing to do the things that he's well, that he's really good at, which is this quick decision maker, a guy who knows when to get the ball out, when that applies to it, but also to cut down on, unfortunately, a lot of silly mistakes that he made last year. Some stuff that he couldn't get away with in the NFL that he could get away with in the SEC. A lot of that attributed to that incredible season. Like he was just a video game character and he could do no wrong. And then he learned the hard way that that's not always the case in the NFL. And I think he's made the correct steps in terms of increasing his you know, velocity. And, and with that comes better timing as well. And you can do more when you unlock your arm like that. And I think those improvements in itself can allow him to make the jump that the Bengals absolutely need him to, if they want to do anything this year. So here is Joe Burrow's stats in case anyone needs a refresher. Uh, Jump down there. Let me go here. Uh, And this is of course the last two, both on uh, Andy Dalton and Joe Burrow were courtesy of pro football reference here, but you looked at that year from Andy Dalton, granted, you know, bigger sample size, the, the nine and a, the ten and a half games, nine and a half games, I guess, by Joe Burrow. Uh, he was over, you know, the mid. He was over the mid sixties in terms of completion percentage, sixty five point three, and then he had a tick higher rating, eighty nine point eight, which I tended to think that that would have even gone even higher had he continued to play 
that season and, and the stretch of games that he would have and teams he would have played against, uh, you know, your, your banged up Dallas team, a Giants team that was blah, you know, uh, the Houston team that was kind of a mess. So I, I tend to think that there were, you know, there are opportunities for him to even improve upon some of those numbers that are already higher in critical areas than Andy Dalton's big year in 2013. I, to me though, I, I know we all point to, to Andy Dalton's 2013 year, that 2015 year he had was special. And I, and I, I probably should go back and look at those stats. If Joe Burrow's playing that kind of football, because that was Andy Dalton's best year by far. If, if, if Joe Burrow's playing that kind of football and plays it for, for 17 games, uh, this team's going to be in very good shape. And the good news is I know the offensive line isn't as strong as it was for Andy Dalton in 15, but he's got a lot of the weapons there. Uh, you know, Joe Mixon, the other backs, uh, Higgins, Boyd, Chase, Uzama. I mean, there are a lot of weapons for him to use. So I know we like to look at that 2013 year because there were records broken that year, but I kind of look at that, that 15 season and say, you know, that that's, that's a year that should be the benchmark in terms of Andy Dalton football play and where Joe Burrow hopefully aims to. And it's weird to say Joe Burrow aim for, for Andy Dalton's <laughs> trajectory in, in some of these, because we always had these complaints about Andy Dalton, but um, I don't know, 2015, that was just a special year, man. That man's going to make his own standard. It won't be long. Yeah. hundred <laughs> percent. Yeah. I, I agree. <laughs> let's continue on and let's go on the other. Well, let's go on the other side of the ball. Let's go on the other side of the ball. We well, we keep teasing this special interview that's dropping tomorrow. So uh, this we'll just say this, that this unit we are going to be talking about, uh, that the person we interviewed has something to do with this side of the ball. I'll say that. Okay. So we've seen some improvement from the defense this year in, in the three preseason games. And I think, quite honestly, the three preseason games helped this team a lot. I know not a lot of people are talking about it, but compared to last year, a lot of new faces and guys just getting game experience and getting used to the system and employing it on the field, I think that's a big deal. And obviously being healthy, for the most part, is a big deal. We saw improvement in getting after the passer in preseason. We saw improvement, uh, for the most part, stopping the run. There weren't a ton of big plays. Granted, it's all preseason. Offenses aren't going to show you a ton. We know that. But it seems to be that the defense will be improved by how much and in what capacities yet to be seen. I would like this team, this defensive unit, in, in a lot of ways to be a little bit like the 2005 Bengals unit. Opportunistic, get turnovers, be able to sack the quarterback, that sort of thing. Yeah, they'll let up the occasional big play. Yeah, they'll let up some points. There'll be some frustrating moments. Um, and so I, I would like that maybe to be something that they could compare to. Believe it or not that this unit, it can be that way, opportunistic, et cetera, or maybe even better, John. I don't believe it, honestly. I, I think when you talk about the 2005 unit, the first thing that I think of is the secondary, which had talent, but it also it was a tale of like two sides of the coin. Because at some point you have Delta O'Neill and Kevin Casefaharn and Torrey James really know all these interceptions that are stunting drives and giving the offense extra opportunities to put up points on the board, which they absolutely did. And I think when you compare it to now, you have Jesse Bates, who's a certified ball hawk for sure. I don't know if you can count on <laughs> for like five interceptions each from 
like Trey Waynes when he plays and Shadobi Awuzie, despite the improvements that I think Awuzie has shown. I think for them, the biggest thing has to be just finishing plays in the backfield. And I think that could be like their version of getting extra stops in the form of interceptions that that defense did 16 years ago. They put so much emphasis this offseason on pressures are nice, sacks are better, which is why they went on Patri Hendrickson. They believe that those 13 and a half sacks from New Orleans can translate to 13 and a half sacks in Cincinnati, regardless of all the other variables that go into that. That they let Carl Lawson go for that for part of that reason. They think that Hendrickson can finish his rushes better than um uh, than Lawson did, even though Lawson had a, a high pass rush win, win rate. They paid Sam Hubbard a lot of money, not just to defend the run. Like he's got to make a jump as a pass rusher too. They had an emphasis on targeting some of these defensive tackles, tackles. And, and they landed on uh, Larry Ogunjobi and he's getting paid 6 million to be that pass rushing presence inside. Those three are going to carry this unit. And if they get 17 sacks again and finish second to last again, in sack percentage, it doesn't matter the rest of the improvements on defense it's still going to be going to be a unit that drags the defense down. But I think if they can make that improvement, despite even though I think the secondary is solid, I just don't think that they're going to be taking advantage of some of these opportunities as much as the defensive line does. And I think that is it's just the difference between these two units where the defense might end up being more of a bend don't break type of type of unit, despite some of the opportunities. But I think the pass rush improving improvement has to be where that jump kind of goes and where that correlation and comparison kind of comes from. I, I asked the question and I actually do not, do not believe it myself either. Uh, I don't think that this kind of to your point, I don't think this defense is as opportunistic and will be as turnover heavy turnover reliant as that O five team. And that O five team, you may have mentioned it there, John, but you know, that, the thing that their turnovers created was a very favorable situation in season for Carson Palmer. Now, Carson Palmer was amazing that season. He played very, very well, but a lot of short fields and things of that nature. So, um, you know, you, you gotta, you gotta like, you gotta look at that a little bit and, and see how that played into Carson Palmer season. But look, uh, I just don't see the splashy plays necessarily. I think you may get a few more up front in terms of sacks because of Trey Hendrickson and whatnot, but I, I don't, I don't really know that I see the big splashy plays, but John, I, call me, call me crazy, but I almost see a little bit more steadiness than the O5 unit potentially in this group. Now that doesn't mean it's going to be great. I've kind of said, if they hover around the mid middle of the pack of the NFL and major statistical categories. I think that's going to be a big win for them, but uh, I, I see some steadiness here as opposed to the, the peaks and the valleys of, of the O five unit. And there's pros and cons to each, but you know, I think if you're able to sometimes getting off the field on third down is kind of like a turnover at times. So uh, you know, I, I, I just, I don't see the big splashy plays as much as I did with the O five unit with, you know, like you said, Tory James, Delta O'Neal, all kinds of different players in there. But I do think that they're they're going to steady things, especially comparative to last year. Yeah, there's more than one way to conduct and comprise a good defense, a defense that can keep you in games. And that's the exact opposite of what the Bengals have had ever since, what, Paul Gunther left, left I guess, or even before that. Like, it, it's been rough. It, and that's it's honestly hindered the evaluation of the offense. Like, 
they're put in these compromising situations where they're always down and the game script kind of flips and they're more times than not playing from behind and they haven't had the offense to kind of keep up with the, 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 the weaknesses of the defense. So if the defense can, and I think you have a point, like in terms of just communication, cohesion, a lack of overall liabilities throughout the entirety of the starting lineup, I think that's there. And I think that is going to lead to more third down stops and more steady, consistent performing unit that can perform well, despite, you know, regardless of who the competition is, obviously there's offenses out there that are going to pick apart your defense, no matter how much, you know, how deep you are or how good your personnel is. Like when they play the chiefs later on, like if the chiefs are healthy, like they're going to put up 30 points probably because that's what the chiefs do. And there's no amount of money that could stop that. It's, it's all about at that point, just scheme and hoping that your personnel stays with them. But I think the unit is built good enough to be much better than what they have. And that's really all that they need. Now that they have an offense that they feel confident can put up 25, 30 points a game, regardless of the competition against them, giving them just a handful of additional opportunities that they didn't have in the last couple of years, giving them a handful of more possessions a game can give them the chance to be in every single game. And that makes such a huge difference. I agree. I'm looking at the 05 team. I think there might be a little bit of a, uh, a typo in pro football reference. Otherwise I'd be sharing it. It does show that the team had 31 total interceptions that season, the 05 season. It looks like 21 sacks. Uh, if you can believe or 28 sacks, excuse me. So uh, I, where I think there might be a little bit of a typo is where they have Delph O'Neal. And I, I thought he had less interceptions than they are credited him. They're crediting him for I'm looking for that there, but um, for now, that's what pro pro football reference is quoting 31 interceptions and 28 sacks to go with 17 forced fumbles. Um, it looks, it Nuts. looks like, man. so I mean, that's, that's three turnovers a game, right? Yeah. And I mean, I think that's all, I mean, you can include special teams and in some of that stuff too, I think, but I mean, the point remains, they were just causing turnovers left and right. And, and I think, um, that's, you know, that's just kind of a, an anomaly, a unicorn of a season, I think, for defense and special teams. I don't think we can rely on that for the Cincinnati Bengals defense this year. But again, I think I am predicting a bit more steadiness in terms of play. And like you said, getting off the field on third down and, and, and uh, there, there are wins to be had there. What's what's on next for Believe It or Not? Let's transition back to the offense and let's talk about our favorite wide receivers. I think Obviously, Chase, Jamar Chase, dominated the preseason headlines for, unfortunately, not so great reasons. But now it's time to project what he means for this offense, how involved he's going to be early on. Is there going to be a period where he experiences growing pains? All offseason or before the draft, we talk about like this offense lacks that dynamic number one receiver. You know, they have T. Higgins, they have Tyler Boyd, but they need a guy like Jamar Chase to really unlock the offense. And this was really before we learned how improved apparently T Higgins has become. And I think Joe Burrow even validated that um, during a press conference before Wednesday's practice. He said like, he definitely looks the most improved and he can't wait to see what he looks like on the field. So because you have Higgins now who is practicing and running at the speed of a de facto number one receiver, is that kind of what we see um, opening the season where Jamar Chase is on the field as a starter and he's going to get his targets and he's going to get his looks. But has the hierarchy kind of shifted into Higgins kind of taking over that right now and then Chase kind of filling in 
you know, kind of growing into his own, just kind of like what Higgins did last year. So I guess, believe it or not, Higgins right now is the clear cut number one and Chase kind of has the Higgins like rise just like he did last year. Quick sidebar. I, I looked at another source for Delta O'Neill stats. I, I just didn't remember. I mean, multiple sources, NFL.com going back in the, in the annals there is saying Delta O'Neill had 10 interceptions in 05. I didn't remember him having that many, but uh, so a couple of them are corroborating that the Bengals did have indeed 31 interceptions as a team that year. Insane. Uh, so the wide receiver issue and trajectory that you're talking about, I see a scenario wherein that exists where Jamar Chase does become a guy that, hey, you know, week eight, week nine, there he is. There's the guy. Uh, and, and he is the deep, deep ball guy. He's doing a little bit of, of the short area stuff. I, I see that scenario existing. I just think T Higgins is going to have a huge year. I really, really do. I, I think he's, he had a good end of last season with out Joe Burrow and with quarterback play that was. Uh, <laughs> so <laughs> uh, I think that plays into the, his, his performance this year. We've seen kind of a little bit of a body transformation and maturity in terms of, I mean, he was, he's now 22, I think. So, I mean, he's still growing. He's big. He's strong. Everybody's gushing about him. And so Burrow's back. I know the rapport between he and Chase exist, but I, I just think Higgins is the guy this year. And that's not to say that, that Chase won't get his and won't won't put up some good numbers and great plays. And, and you know, I'm not even saying that, you know, the number five pick on Chase was was not worth it if he doesn't become the number one this year. I just think T Higgins is going to be, he's going to be very, very good. And I think he's having going to have a very good season if he stays healthy. And and I think he is this team's guy. And I think that's fan. It's fantastic for multiple reasons, but right. also for, for this specific discussion, it removes a variable from the, from the equation, regardless of how any of you thought about Jamar Chase entering the draft, rookies are just inherently unknown. You don't know how quickly they're going to adapt into NFL life and how quickly they're going to fulfill whatever potential that they have. It's clear that Chase is going on the path of a traditional rookie where it, it just takes a minute, and especially one who didn't play at all in his final year of college. That rust period definitely impacted him. He didn't want to use it as an excuse, but it, it clearly had some some form of a, of a factor or a variable into it. But Higgins in himself removing that variable from the equation does higgins make the next step does he improve his athleticism does he continue to grow into his body does he be, does he become a more explosive and dynamic receiver we haven't played a game yet but i think the answer to that is probably yes we haven't seen him that much in the preseason but from all accounts like there's no reason to doubt that the, the t higgins transformation is very real and you couple that with another known commodity in tyler boyd it just eases your overall comfort level despite the fact that Chase is going to, to take a minute to really get fill into his form. But, of course, this is Jamar Chase, and he's incredibly talented. He was drafted in the top five for a reason. So if he goes out there week one against Minnesota, Rashad Breland or whoever is at quarterback, and he pops off with a 100-yard game, you know, it may be surprising based off of what we know about Chase in the last month, but for what we should have known about Chase, he's that, he's that guy. Like, it, it could happen, and it shouldn't really shock us to – to the nth degree if he really pops off like that. But I, I think the likely scenario is that because they have these two known guys who are capable of carrying the passing game, it allows Chase to take that alternative route 
if he needs it. It's a good problem to have because there is another, there are another couple of people in our live chats talking, you know, Michael Jordan. I'll tell you who no one's talking about. Mr. Big Levels TV, Tyler Boyd. Uh, and then you've got another one here, Tyler Boyd here, first year as a captain and well-deserved. Absolutely. So that's another guy in there. But I think just we know who Tyler Boyd is and who he's going to be. Um, I, I just I think we're talking now the development of these two young wide receivers, the fact that they are going to play on the outside, potentially asked to be doing a bit more deeper routes, particularly chase um, for those potential big plays. Boyd will too, but uh, you know, in the slot, you're going to work the sticks. You're going to work the middle of the field. And so I, I Boyd's going to have a great year too. I, I mean, I, I don't have a doubt about that. If, if all these guys are healthy, I think there's going to be a lot of production from this group. I, I, I just, I really see a big, big year from T Higgins and, and not that I don't see one from Chase or Boyd. I just, uh, just things I'm seeing and hearing and watching and all of that. I just, I think he's, I think he's got, a big year ahead of them. Do you want to get to to any more before we move on? I know we've got two more segments we got to get to, John. But uh, any other questions for the believe it or not before we move on? Yeah, just real quick, just going to hit it with you. Yep. Believe it or not, the Bengals linebackers show enough where the team does not have to address the position yet again for the second straight offseason, which would be unheard of considering this team's history. I don't. I don't, I don't believe it. I think that there's, uh, you know, it's not really a focal point of the defense and what they're wanting to do. They obviously have stacked up on defensive line and in the secondary. So, you know, I, I, they just, it's kind of a, a, a taking a back seat in terms of a position group in this defense. But uh, I, I think they'll be, fine. I, uh, Logan Wilson will probably take some nice steps. The, apparently, Akeem Davis Gaither, uh, Lou Anarumo has been gushing about him in the camp that he has had. But, uh, you know, I still think that they're missing a, a you know, a, a guy. A, a really good, you know, a guy that scares you a little bit. And maybe that's, um, maybe even a tweener guy, right? A guy that can that can give you, uh, and I think maybe Akeem Davis Gaither could be that guy, right? Because he did that in college and he's got some athleticism to be able to do that to rush the passer. But um, I, I, I kind of just feel like, you know, third round, second round, maybe even a, a, another linebacker in free agency. I just kind of feel like they may, they may go that route again because of either someone disappointing or they just want to restock that group a little bit. I thought we were both going to be optimistic here, but I guess I'll, I'll, I'll take that role for myself. I, I do think that, um, Logan Wilson's going to be that dude. And Pratt is going to be just good enough where they don't have to really address it. And that could lead them to investing in other more important positions in the draft, which I think is huge. It's yeah. it's weird, like positional spending in the season. That, that conversation is a little bit weird to talk about, but I guess they're 31st in linebacker spending because it's just all draft picks. And yeah. the only veteran is Jordan Evans, and he's playing on essentially vet minimum right now. So but I think it is going to be good enough. I, I do have confidence in, in Wilson and Pratt, and I think they get Bailey and Davis Gaither more involved. And I, I think I think they finally found it. And I, I know I'm, I'm considered, I guess, the, the pragmatic like like realist on this show, but I, I think there is room for optimism there. If you're the pragmatic realist, I don't know what the hell that makes me, but uh, I, I like it anyway. I just read the comments, man. I just read the comments. <laughs> 
Well, that was that was a lot of fun. This segment we started, I don't know, gosh, a couple months ago, and we've been having some fun with it. So uh, that was this week's Believe It or Not, and we'll keep rolling with that through the season. Before we get to a positional preview, and then, of course, the preview against the Vikings, we've got a lot to get to in a little bit of time. We, John, need to talk about and relay the information of Symbol to our listeners, S-I-M-B-U-L-L, and the website, S-I-M-B-U-L-L.app backslash OBI. Go there and you use the promo code OBI and you get incentives for Symbol Gold. This is a long-term play, folks. So it's, you know, if you're in the, uh, what do you call it, the dynasty fantasy leagues that you're in Mm -hmm. for years and years and years or what have you, this can be played the similar, a very similar way. Or if you're making money right away, which is entirely possible, specifically if you invested in the Bengals when we first partnered with Symbol, you could sell off stocks, shares of the stocks in a team, make some money, and reinvest that as you would in the stock market. So I might, by my account, John, I think the Bengals were at about $25 per share when we first partnered up with Symbol and now because of the draft, because of some interest from Bengals fans investing in Symbol, and of course, some optimism in the direction of the team uh, that I think there are upwards of 55 or so at this point. But uh, it's a good partnership we have with them. And tell us a little bit more about it. Absolutely, man. I think everyone on this program has really boosted that that Bengals uh, stock market or, or stock price, if you will, the Sim, sim price, the Symbol price. It's the Sim Bengals along with the Sim Patriots, you got the Sim Rams, you got every NFL team, you have every NBA team, every MLB team, and every college football team. We're now two weeks into the college football season. Get in on the OSU action while they're still undefeated, and they probably will be undefeated up until December. But it really is that simple, guys. You invest in your favorite teams or teams that you think are going to do well. Really, the whole company was started by a guy saying that, you know, I think Joe Burrow is going to do something with the Bengals. I think he's going to improve the Bengals. But I don't think it's going to happen right away. That's literally the origin story of Simple. It was founded on the idea that the Bengals would improve long-term with Joe Burrow. And if that is what you also think, then invest in the Sim Bengals. Use the promo code OBI when you go to symbol.app backslash OBI to get your free week of Symbol Gold to let us know that we're not just screaming into the void here promoting a great product like Symbol. It is a lot of fun. You can make money off of it. Definitely check it out. Absolutely. Good stuff from Symbol. Take uh, advantage of that promo code using OBI. Of course, short for Orange and Black Insider. John, we have one more position group to talk about with the Cincinnati Bengals, and it is an important one. It's the offensive tackles. Uh, why don't you kick us off with that, and we'll we'll have a little chat about the offensive tackles. Jonah Williams, Riley Reef. There was, I think, a question entering the offseason or entering like right before the draft. Does Riley Reef stay at right tackle? Did they draft another guy there? Did they draft a guy named Panay Sewell? Does Reef move inside? Does Sewell move inside? None of that happened. You have Reef right tackle. That's what they said he was going to play right after they signed him. And gosh darn it, that's where he has practiced. That's where he has come to practice before every other player, apparently. And that's where he's held down the position for the entirety of preseason. And he's looked pretty, pretty damn good. Like, Riley Reef in a vacuum is just a 32-year-old veteran who was cut by a team that has gone through a lot of offensive linemen in recent years. So on its own, Riley Reef is not that exciting of an acquisition, but it's all relative, man. And when you have Bobby Hart holding down that spot for three years, anything else can look great. And I think 
genuinely Riley Reef has looked very solid at the position, not just in comparison to his predecessor, but just on his own. I think just seeing that talent on the opposite side of their best offensive lineman, Jonah Williams, the left tackle, it really is a breath of fresh air for anybody who covers and follows this team. They don't have any worries at those positions, which is not something that you, that you could say for the last four years. Jonah Williams always had potential. He had his moments last year, but there was also some struggles. That was his first year playing. You're expecting him to take that next step in terms of consistency and really establish himself as one of the better young players at that position. And you have the opposite. You have the known commodity in Reef playing a position that he hasn't played in five years, but honestly looks like the transition is pretty solid. And then you have two backups who are on the younger side, but I think you're confident in their ability to develop under a good offensive line coach in Frank Pollock, Isaiah Prince at left tackle, Fred Johnson at right tackle. Maybe only one of them gets activated on game days, but this, this really is just seeing the growth of Jonah Williams and seeing how much can Riley Reef give you in his, I think, ninth or 10th season at a position that he's rarely played. But so far, it looks like the returns are more than positive. You heard it in the interview with Quentin Spain. You touched on it, John. Quentin Spain talking with Ace and Zim. You'll hear it on an interview that drops with us tomorrow. Riley Reef has really, really assumed a leadership role in the offensive line group, in the tackle group. He is out there. Both, both interviews that I referenced talk about him being out there before every single player. And that's that's a chorus line of these two interviews seeing that from Riley Reef. He is out there before every single player practice getting getting ready, making sure he's ready. And quite honestly, that's that's a good sign from a veteran who's up there in age a, a bit that he's no he knows what he needs to do to take care of his body, get his body ready, and also the fact that he is assuming a leadership role. I do not think Riley Reef is going to be a pro bowl level type of tackle for this team, but I think he is going to steady the ship. I think he's going to give you a lot more than what you've had in the previous years with Bobby Hart, with Marshall Newhouse, with all kinds of different Andre Smith from time to time. Although Andre Smith in the, you know, the middle of his career was pretty dang good at right tackle, but uh, you know, I mean, they, they had kind of all these different options at right tackle that were just not working. And Riley reef, even if it's for a year, maybe two, you know, th this this seems to be a guy who is kind of grabbing this young group, leading them. And uh, you know, when they when they brought him in, I said, "Hey, that's a that's a pretty decent signing. It's not gonna it's not gonna move the needle a bunch, but it it opens up options in the draft, which obviously it did. And then, of course, you know, he's he's playing pretty well uh, through the preseason. There have been kind of some some ups and downs a little bit, but. Uh, I think he's going to be pretty steady. And Jonah Williams, I have really high hopes for him this year. He had a, a couple of nice plays against Chase Young in the game against Washington. By all accounts, he's looking really good. And, you know, he's responding well to Frank Pollock's coaching. So you like that. I like Fred Johnson as a backup. I, you know, I, I was never overly enamored at the time uh, with him being talked about as a starter, not necessarily this year, but in years past and getting starter reps, uh, you know, at, at times. He, he played well at times. He didn't play really well at times when he has started at different spots on the line. But I think if you're talking about a backup, a swing backup, and a guy that has some upside, I like him as a backup. Prince, you know, is a really interesting guy too. Another another young guy, like you mentioned, has, has massive size, and they like what they see out of him. So I, I think I'm a little worried about the 
lack of experience behind the starters. Uh, as you mentioned, Fred Johnson's got, you know, obviously some starts under his belt, but I'm a little worried there, but you know, I think if you've got a healthy Jonah and a healthy Riley reef, I think those two guys are going to shut a lot of national media members up because they're, they're, that's a pretty solid tackle duo if everything falls into place the way it should. And if, like, like I said, the people that we referenced in these interviews, Quentin Spain and the one to be seen tomorrow on our channel, um, they're talking Riley Reef up a lot. And, uh, you know, that was something that really resonated with me, John, in terms of going back and, and going back and listening to those interviews, the fact that they've been gushing about him. What is the one thing that everyone has said that this position group needs to be? Not great. Not even good. Good enough. Yep. Just good enough. Just passable. What does that mean, though? It, it's a buzzword at this point. It, it doesn't doesn't have, like, a meaning that you can just, like, explain very coherently. It just means, like, you know, don't be – you don't have to be a Pro Bowl, like you said. You don't have to be an All-Pro. You just have to make sure that your quarterback is not getting hit as much as he did before. But also, at the end of the day, Riley Reef is Riley Reef. He's not one of the best right tackles in the NFL, and they play some of the best edge rushers in the game. He's going to get beat this season. He's going to get beat. Like, it's going to happen. He's going to allow pressures. He's going to allow Burrow to get hit from time to time. But compared to what they had before, where Bobby Hart was getting beat not only by athletes, by guys who knew how to use their hands because he was neither athletic nor how to, nor did he know how to use his hands. Riley Reef at least has the technical baseline that you can count on to counter most pass rushers. Some guys are just freaks. The Miles Garrett's of the world, they're going to beat you because they, they're freakish in both aspects. They know how to use their hands. They're violent. They have counter moves. They have plans in the back of their head. And they're also guys who are 270 pounds and run a four or five 40 yard dash. Like those guys are going to be 90% of right tackles. And it's going to happen to Riley Reef, And it's going to happen to Jonah Williams too. But just make sure that you don't get beat with technical issues. And I think that is what they can count on with these two guys. And for the first time in a long time, they have two of them that they're confident that in their sets, they're not going to get beat with communication errors. They're not going to get beat with missing their marks with their hands. If they're going to get beat, they're going to get beat by some of these freak guys because that is the nature of the NFL right now. The talent at edge is so much higher than the average talented tackle, and that's just kind of how it goes. But in terms of being good enough, that is what being good enough, just being passable, means in my mind. How deep is your trust in Frank Pollock? And I guess that's a question specifically to you, John, a rhetorical one to everybody. Because if, you're, if your faith in him and what he's building on the offensive line is as deep as many people proclaim that it is, then you got to believe that he's got a lot of trust in Riley Reef and what he's going to bring to this, to this team. And the second thing I want to ask and, and or bring up how many times in the past, specifically two year seasons, I can remember Bobby Hart being beat off the edge by smaller, quicker, very athletic top end rushers. I, I remember Vaughn Miller beating him bad a couple of years ago. And I remember TJ Watt regularly beating him against the Pittsburgh Steelers. Think about if the damage from players like that, who both, oh, by the way, are on the schedule this year. Think about if that damage that Bobby Hart allowed to occur at the right tackle spot was maybe cut in half, was maybe cut by two thirds. And that is what I'm expecting 
from Riley Reef, and those are high impact plays, John, in games. And so I know we're, we've got other, you know, three other tackles in this group to talk about, but Reef is is the one that's a, a real big key. Obviously, the development of Jonah is a big key too. But I just keep going back to Riley Reef and what he can potentially bring you at right tackle, as opposed to what they have had. And it is just, I, I, like you said, even if it's something that sniffs above average, that's that's huge. I mean, that's the reason why he's the most impactful free agent signing, like for that exact reason. Behind him, you have more of the same, but that goes back to Frank Pollock. I think you have to have trust in Frank Pollock. You're hearing all the right things. You're seeing it unfold. And going back three years ago, if like that offensive line from 2018, while it was quote-unquote productive, wasn't nearly as talented as this one. Like you had Clint Bowling, sure. You had Cordy Glenn, who was okay. But you had questions from center to right right tackle you had Trey Hopkins playing his first year at center you had Alex Redman and Bobby Hart at right guard and right tackle and he got the absolute most out of both of those guys now you give him more established veterans who have a better understanding who are better fits in the scheme that they want to run it's a recipe for success and I think that's why you have to have trust in the offensive line coach because there's no real logical reason not to based off of everything that you've heard and seen before we get to the preview of the Minnesota game and some facets we're looking at there uh just uh, they're not in there but they they have tackle experience in college rookies Jackson Carmen Deontay Smith they're not listed they're both listed as guards on the on the website I mean I don't know just right now I guess for 2021 do you see any kind of possibility that they get work at tackle they're in the mix somewhere in there or is it just hey for this year you guys are guards I suppose if injuries really take a toll, like if you have multiple injuries to tackle, then you'd have to say, Deontay Smith, you're back in tackle now. Right. I'm sorry right. you've been moved around a lot, but I, I think they have a plan with those guys, and I think it's only going to change if injuries happen. Yeah, I'm, I'm in agreement with you. Well, the Bengals host the Minnesota Vikings in week one at Paul Brown Stadium. They hosted a game last year, but no one was there, and folks are going to be there this or this this time around, and it should be an electric atmosphere with Joe Burrow returning to the lineup from injury. The Bengals are pretty healthy. The Vikings are pretty healthy. This should be a game either way, John. Whoever wins this game, I think it should be a pretty close matchup. I guess let's start with a couple of the most important players that you will have your eye on this week as the Bengals take on the Vikings. Hey, we just talked about Riley Reef First week, yep. how about Daniel Hunter? How about your former yep. teammate? Yep. Like, I think um, in, in talking to a Vikings insider uh, before the show, like he said that if the Vikings do win this game, it's be- going to be because of that defensive line. They know two guys, and Michael Pierce and um, uh, Sheldon Richardson, who are at defensive tackle. But Daniel Hunter, I think, is the guy that can break the game open for the Vikings defense. And that's why they brought in Riley Reef because they have a gauntlet of these guys that they're going to face um, at left defensive end, and he's the freakiest guy that they have. Other than that, like I think, I, I think he is the difference maker with that defense because I think that secondary is suspect at best, even though they have one of the better safeties in Harrison Harrison Smith. But how much does Daniel Hunter affect the Bengals' passing game? How much can Riley Reef shut him down on his own? Do they need to bring in an extra blocker to help him? I think if this is Bobby Hart, you have no confidence in it. But I think with Riley Reef, you stand a chance to basically limit his impact as much as possible. I look at two two players, and Reef was one that I was going to mention as well. 
Two on defense that I, I, I'm particularly interested in. One is a new face, and I was excited about the signing was Larry Ogunjobi. Um, I, I'm really interested to see because the team was without a Geno Atkins last year, a guy who, who was able to generate pressure from the interior with regularity. Um, Ogunjobi had been doing that with Cleveland, was kind of moved around last year, didn't have the same impact, and now he's playing his more natural position with the Bengals. So it's not fair to expect Ogunjobi to put up Atkins like numbers, but if they can get a, you know, a, a pass rush from the interior, a presence in the interior next to DJ reader, Josh Tupo, et cetera. Um, you know, I think that's going to be a win for the team there uh, on defense. I think they're going to be able to, to fluster Kirk cousins and maybe make him make some bad decisions, especially if you get what you hope for out of Sam Hubbard, Trey Hendrickson and others off the edge. So um, Ogunjobi's a guy that I'm really uh, looking for as well because Dalvin Cook's going to be a big part of the game plan for Minnesota. And so the other guy I would I would look at this week, and it's probably going to be a, by committee because there's not going to be one specific defender always keying on Dalvin Cook, but one guy to keep your eye on is Lo, uh, Logan Wilson, the guy you just mentioned. You know, is is he going to be able to to hit the correct gaps and and limit the big plays from Dalvin Cook? Who's going to be the one? Dalvin Cook is a is a fixture in the pack, passing game. Is it going to be Logan Wilson? Is it going to be heavy defensive backs and and one kind of a spy type of player? Maybe a Ricardo Allen out there as well to to shadow Dalvin Cook as he goes out of the backfield and passing plays. I don't know, but um, Logan Wilson for a variety of reasons alongside Larry Ogunjobi are two guys I'm really interested in seeing this week. The best player, I mean, Dalvin Cook is probably the best player that the Vikings have. And I think for that reason, like even if DJ Reader and the defensive tackles do a good job, of you know plugging their gaps and taking advantage of a very suspect Vikings interior offense line. Cook is just that explosive and is that elusive to get to the second level. And that is really where Logan Wilson has to prove his worth because once Cook gets to the outside, he, he has a he has a gear that is very rare in this game right now. And you know, like that is where he's he's gonna have to make his money. But aside from Cook, it like Justin Jefferson was awesome last year and they move him around so much. I think he played the majority of his snaps at left wide receiver, which will meet him up with Chidobi Awuzie. No Trey wins this game. Eli Apple is obviously in question. How is he going to do? I think Jefferson is going to get matched up with Awuzie a lot in this game. And I think that's where Kirk Cousins is going to look at for some of those big plays. Awuzie had a great training camp. He had a great preseason and his limited snaps. But you're going up against probably the should-be rookie of the year last year, a very explosive athlete. And there's there's going to be some, you know, Jamar Chase is watching Jefferson on the sideline, and Jefferson's doing going to do the same thing. Like, they're going to want to outplay each other. That Like, that that back-and-forth chess game is going to be fun to watch. But Wouzier, with all the hype in the, in the offseason, he's going to get one of the more electrifying young receivers in the game with a quarterback that has a lot of confidence in him at such a young age. So, Prove prove your worth, Awuzie. Right, right, right. Immediately, you're going to get a lot of targets with Justin Jefferson right there. So, let's see what you got. I, I that's another good one. And I mentioned earlier about Dalvin Cook obviously being a big feature in this game and how the Bengals are able to corral him potentially. Um, the the other facet, and I want to credit Malik Wright for bringing this up a little bit um, because it's I, I find it to be pretty at least historically accurate. Mike Zimmer is a coach that doesn't like to send extra blitzers very often in terms of keys to the game and 
schematically what we're talking about and what the Bengals need to do. Um, and they like to, so what Mike Zimmer has traditionally liked to done, especially if you've seen his time in Cincinnati, he didn't like to send a lot of extra blitzers. It was try and generate pressure with the three or four guys up front, have lockdown corners, play man on the outside and hope that things fall into place. And more often than not, they do. So um, that is a, is a key there in terms of the Bengals offense. And what are they going to do to not only protect up front and be able to, you know, stymie those guys if they're not going to bring a lot of pressure, but what's the passing game going to look like? What's the attack with Joe Mixon going to look like without blitzers conceivably, because that's kind of who Mike Zimmer is. Exactly. And, you know, he's all, like you said, he's always been one to just rely on just four. Like that was such an emphasis in this time in Cincinnati. Just get your pressure with four, drop seven back in coverage and, you know, just go to work and it, and it always worked. And it's worked for the most part with Minnesota. And that's, that is their strength, right? They don't need to blitz to get pressure on your quarterback. They have enough bodies up there to really handle that th- themselves. So yeah, like, and, and against Minnesota, like it, it, we don't really know, I guess what this defense truly does look like. We don't know how vanilla it was in, in the preseason and how, how much they wanted to reveal but it's a very balanced offense that they have. Like Cook is dangerous, and we give you know Kirk Cousins a lot of flack. But at the end of the day, he's a very efficient quarterback. And it's just some of these high leverage situations that he hasn't really been able to take advantage of. But week one at 1 p.m., I think you're going to get a Kirk Cousins that's going to put up some points. And that is what I think really this game comes down to. Like both defenses are talented, but I think both offenses match up really well against the current composition of these defenses. And it's just like if the Bengals can put the, the Vikings pass rush at bay, a pass rush that, again, is not going to blitz that much, then they can keep up with the Vikings, and that's going to be what decides this game. It's, I, I would probably bet the over in this game. I don't I don't know if we want to get to predictions just right away, but it does seem like this, this game in all likelihood is going to come down to who scores last. And that – I mean, week one is kind of screwy in that where the, the offenses don't always – you know, fire on all cylinders immediately, but it seems like both defenses are primed to give up some big plays to the other. Both receiving cores are really talented, really stacked at the top, and they have quarterbacks that shouldn't be afraid to really attack these secondaries. Blackthorn calling a shot here. If McPherson kicks the game winner in his first game, that would just be perfect. <laughs> he has a facet and a guy to, to keep watch here. The Bengals need to be able to rely on him. Rookie kicker, maybe some big spots here in week one. The other on the other side of the ball, and we'll we'll get out of here in just a few minutes here. But the other side of the ball, John, I think it was Matt Minnick in our roundtable last week, kind of talked a little bit about if the Bengals, if Trey Waynes is out, if the Bengals should maybe go with a little bit more of a zone look on defense to mask potential issues with Eli Apple and or just go with kind of a defensive back heavy type of situation, whether that's to help uh, with with Dalvin Cook getting another, you know, kind of quicker athletic guy out there in space to help in in that situation. Um, I, I don't know. I, what, are, what are your thoughts on that? I, I think there's, you know, you can you can kind of live and die by which scheme you choose, but I, I, I see the logic a bit in going that route this week with Waynes out of the lineup. I think even if Waynes is in the lineup, I I think you should go zone. Like Thielen and Jefferson are a dangerous duo in, in yeah. itself, but you can make the argument that both of them are two of the top route runners in this league that create 
very noticeable separation against man coverage, regardless of the quality of cornerback. Like that is the strength of both of these guys. That was the strength of Jefferson coming out of LSU. It's been the strength of Thielen for the last few years. They are really savvy with their routes and it's really hard to really stick with them in man coverage. So I think that regardless of Waynes is out there or not, I think that should have been the plan anyways, just to keep these guys in front of them, not let either of them kind of get over top of them. Bates is going to be busy kind of going to the sideline to, to help out, I, I guess, Apple against Thielen. And yeah, that, that scheme does make sense against these receivers because that is, that is how they beat you. It's a lot of timing, but these guys are really silky with the routes and it, it, in the times that Woozy and Apple are in man coverage, they're going to have to stick with them and, and use their physicality against them. And if the Bengals are able to generate pressure, you know, that could force Kirk Cousins into making some errant throws, possible turnovers there. You're going to see a lot. If the Bengals do, I mean, regardless, you're going to see a lot of Mike Hilton on Sunday. You're going to see some of Darius Phillips on defense. I think they're, you're going to see a, a bit of Ricardo Allen out there. I've mentioned his name a couple of times. I think he's going to be out there along with Von Bell and Jesse Bates in certain packages. I think they're just going to go defensive back heavy a bit, not only to mask the loss of Trey Waynes, but like you said, just to limit the damage of what Thielen and Jefferson can do. Um, you know, it's just, it's a, it's a big, it's a big task to kind of contain those guys. And if you kind of have a lot of, able defensive backs on the field to, to mask your coverage a little bit. I think, I think that would be a, a good win and a good strategy for the Bengals, at least to, to get you by the Wayne's absence. So what do we think about score, man? Like, are, are we calling our shots here? Yeah, let's do it. Uh, I, I'm hoping I'm, so I see some talk here about, you know, people going to the game. I, I'm hoping I'm going to bring the mojo with me from, from SoCal. I don't always, I'm going, I'm going to the game. So, and John, I hope, Hope to see you at some point this weekend. I'd love to coordinate seeing you. But, uh, I, you know, I think it's going to be a close one. I, I think it's going to be one of those one-score games, and it's going to have to be where the Bengals get over the hump. Uh, if they want to make this season a good one, they need to get over the hump and, and get this one-score game, especially at home. Uh, I will say 27-24, Bengals. I think you just stole mine. I, I think I? it is going to be. I, I, I was thinking something like that. I, I do think if all goes well, or if all goes as planned, both teams are going to end up in the high twenties. I would say. Um, actually, surprised. I'm looking at some of the data. Eighty-six percent of, of the cash tickets are going to the Vikings. They're really taking advantage of that. Was like three and a half um, uh, favorites on the road. Mm. So not not a lot of optimism, I guess, on the betting market for the Bengals. So keep that in mind. But, but I think the return of Burrow in in this offense, in this team, in a sellout home crowd, in a sell home opener, we had Michael Jordan ask if they if they have had a sellout home opener in the past. I don't know off the top of my head. I don't even know if this game is a sellout, but I, I do think that that can make an impact. And I really do think it's like can the def, can the defense make one more stop than they're expected to? Because Dalvin Cook, Jefferson, Thielen. It's a dangerous trio to go up against. Again, Kirk Cousins is Kirk Cousins, but he does still produce from time to time. If the Bengals can get them one additional stop, whether that's turnover or it's a key third down, I think you should have confidence in your offense to put up one final score. Maybe that's a McPherson game-winning kick. Maybe not. But I'm going to say 27-23 to Bengals. 27-23, real close. I like it. I like it. Yeah, maybe there's something where – Bengals have that 27-23 lead and Minnesota drives down and 
doesn't because they because they can't kick the field goal. It's an issue for them. We'll see, but we're both predicting a Bengals win. Probably a close game either way. We'll we'll see what happens, but hopefully they get the win. That's going to do it for us tonight. Let's drop the mic and get out of here, John. I, I personally don't have very much. Uh, I kind of spilled the beans that I will be out uh, be out your neck of the woods this weekend. And other than that, that's, that's about it for me. So what do you got for us? You know what? Since you're in Cincinnati this weekend, I really do hope that you get some of my luck and you're recognized out in public. It is a really cool feeling. It does not get old for me. But shout out to Brandon from the um, Oakley, Oakley um, LA Fitness, now eSport of Fitness. Um, he, just in the middle of a workout, I said, like, hey, what's up, man? I recognize you from OBI. I'm like, oh, that's so cool, dude. So that's if awesome. you're listening, Brandon, um, <laughs> thanks for listening and, and thanks for supporting us. But Anthony, um, have fun and sincere. I hope to see you uh, here. I, I don't like, I guess this is the weekend where all my family is showing up and I have to do stuff with them. I don't have to do stuff. I get to do stuff with them Friday <laughs> and Saturday, but you know, it, it, it's always, it's always week one. You know, my grandma's 94th birthday is, no way. Uh, uh, is on Saturday. So it's, it's always been like balancing, you know, seeing her and celebrating her birthday, but also having to do this job on, on the side of it. So it's always a nice tricky balance on week one, but it's always exciting as well. So happy, happy early birthday, grandma. Yeah. Yeah. Happy birthday to, to grandma Sharon. So that's, that's awesome. Uh, that's going to do it for us. Let's, let's hope the Bengals get the week one win and hope that uh, things start off on the right foot. Thanks everybody for tuning in live. Thanks everybody for downloading after the fact, we will be having a special interview dropping on our channel tomorrow. And then of course we will have different kind of post game stuff. I probably will not be doing the post game this week. Um, given that I'll be, marching around uh, the Queen City a little bit, uh, hopefully with a happy Who Day chant. But we'll we'll see what happens. And um, But I think Ace, Zim, and possibly John, of course, all the guys at Cincy Jungle are going to be doing a lot of different stuff on the site there too. So check it out. Thanks, everybody. Take it easy. Enjoy week one. We will talk to you soon. <laughs>